0: this
1: is me, nigga, 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 nigga let's get it you are now rocking with the super expialidope shit your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast featuring on the verge artists established influencers and people from all walks of life doing dope shit with your host
0: emiliano style what is your writer's process because right now you wrote for um daytime divas daytime divas and now you're working on step up up. so i guess it's a two-part question one is what is your writer writing process Mm -hmm. and then two just give me like an insight of what goes on in the writer's room because i feel like a lot of people don't know yeah
1: um, so I have a writing partner, um, for a lot of my scripts that I write. Um, and the process is, you know, we have the idea. And so
0: you sit down and have a, like a power, just a yeah. brainstorming.
1: So we have the idea. And one of the first places that we go to is who are the characters? Um, and what is this world? So we just brainstorm and talk everything through. Like, okay, I think we need this character and this is what she's like and this is the things that she's doing. This is how she influences
0: stuff. How long does this take? Does it take multiple um, meetings or y'all y'all usually bang it out? Multiple anyone? meetings okay. probably,
1: like about a week, you okay. know, um, depending on how fully fleshed out we can get with everything and what we can kind of like agree on. Um, or like two weeks, maybe sometimes. Cause characters are hard and the world is hard and that's like the foundation. So you want to get that right. Right. So sometimes it can take like two, two three, and then even still you're still evolving the characters and stuff as you start writing. Mm-hmm. You want to get a, a foundation of like who's in the world and what is the world. And then we start talking about like, well, what is this? What is the story that we're trying to tell in this pilot? And so we just, another round of like talks about like, well, now that we know our characters, well like she's gonna do this and you know, then we're gonna create this challenge for her here with this person and we just talk about like what are the different like machinations that this whole thing can go through to get us to where we wanna be. Um and uh and then we start outlining. Mm. And our outlining process has been greatly enhanced by having been in a writer's room and looking at how they outline things, Mm -hmm. just even the organization of it and the detail of it. And so um, I'm from the school of like outlining the hell out of something so that by the time you're writing it, you're literally like almost lifting from the outline, like actual dialogue and actual description. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just go through a really intense outlining process where you beat by beat, scene by scene, Go through the entire script, and then you write it, and then rewrite it, and then rewrite Do it again, and rewrite uh, again, and again. It.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So that's the process, and getting better and better at it. The more, the more I go.
0: Okay. Uh, How many people were in the writer's room?
1: Um, So, in daytime, uh, we had a lot of writing partnerships. Um, So, I think the total was like 10 or 12 people, including the showrunners, who were also writing partners. Mm -hmm. And now, at Step Up, we have one other writing partnership. Um, So, it's us and and them two. And then, Brian, uh, Haji, our showrunner, and Bill. So, about eight
0: people okay mm-hmm. and y'all and, and so what a writer's room is is just a uh, what you were doing with Roche mm-hmm. on a larger level mm-hmm. basically
1: mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. so that's like the same so, job if you will
0: okay so that's I feel it's really important to say because with content or shows or films mm-hmm. that are created it's important just to have individuals in the room yeah you just have to be in the room so you could bounce your ideas, just like yeah. that. Uh, what was that Pepsi commercial? Oh lord! You could tell there were certain people who were in the room who could have gave a certain
1: uh-huh. opinion
0: or insight or idea, uh-huh. and that commercial wouldn't have gotten made. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: Or it wouldn't have been like that. That. Um. Yeah. Okay. So that is very dope. Um. So. I want to talk about just a little bit about you have any pet peeves in your field that when you have worked on some projects that you was like, oh, I hate it when this happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what every writer like hates to a certain extent but also loves are like notes. <laughs> That's so horrible to say. Mm-hmm. But the notes process can be one that can obviously be helpful because you have a bunch of different perspectives and ideas, and you miss things because you're so close to the story, you're so deep in it. And then someone says, "But that doesn't make sense," and you're like, "You're absolutely right." Like <laughs> I've been reading this script and writing and this part, never stood out to me that it's like nonsensical. Thank you for that. Right. Um, but then you also get notes. And it's just like, that's not the story I'm trying to tell. Or you clearly don't even understand my perspective because you're trying to get me to tell another story. Or Mm -hmm. you don't really understand what I'm trying to do. Or just, I don't like that note. You know? And like, being able to understand like, even though I don't like that note, is it something that I should do? Is something I should try? Are they right? Are they wrong? That's the part that no one knows, right? So I just feel like try, to a certain extent, try every note and see where it gets you. Um, so the notes process can be something that's like hard to maneuver through.
0: But is it something? It's like, do
1: I trust myself or do I, you know, you don't know.
0: But it, is this something that you hate when people do? No. no. like that?
1: It's a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. yeah so
0: but even the way that they give notes or anything like that i'm just trying to get to something that
1: and in, in working with like studios and execs i think um sometimes you do hate the way people give notes because it's like okay we're writers and then you get a note from like an exec, and you're like it was so funny somebody was like this person is a writer with the dream deferred bird, like because the notes they give are like,
0: shouldn't they say? This? Uh, like, okay, okay,
1: ma'am, I don't need you to give me dialogue options. Like you are an exact, just tell me what what the the feeling behind this note is, and I will worry about what how it's executed.
0: Yeah, notes are very interesting because sometimes you get these notes, and it's like I got a note like, oh, the blacks are too black. Mm-hmm. I'm like okay, well, this is a dramatic scene. Should yeah. it be, look like this? Yeah. I don't know, but it's just like, sometimes you get some notes and they're like, what? Yeah. And it kind of feels like they don't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. So they, I don't know. But notes in general, like, you know, you get really good notes. Sometimes yeah. you get some bad notes, but yeah. notes are definitely
1: hard.
0: hard and they're definitely necessary.
1: Yes. So I won't say it's a pet peeve, but I definitely think it's something hard to like continue to learn. Um, how to deal with them in the best way and I think that's an ongoing process I think mm-hmm. as long as you're a writer or a creative and you're at the point where you're going out for feedback it's always going to be hard to say is this right what they're saying or well, what are they really saying what's the note behind the note or even though like my gut reaction to that was absolutely fucking not Maybe I should, <laughs> Right.
0: Know, like, yeah, yeah.
1: you don't
0: know. Yeah, 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 it opens you up to that per- perspective. What yeah. what, are, what is some, um, aside from being a good writer, would you say are some characteristics that writers should definitely have?
1: Um, they should like to read. Mm. Um, I don't think writers have to like to write. I mm. think writers, a lot of writers like to have written. And I think it's a misconception that writers like wake up every morning and are like, I'm ready to write. And that because you don't feel good about writing that means you're not a good writer. I don't think so. I think writing is terrifying. And I think approaching a blank page is like the worst feeling in the world. But I also feel like, um, I also feel like writers like to write but it's a complicated relationship that they have with their passion. So um, anytime you're creative, I feel like paint, I, I imagine everyone has a love-hate relationship with their creative passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's not, that's one, not being down on yourself, about like how you approach it, um, but wait, what was your question again?
0: No, I was. You said characteristics. Oh yeah. So you said, yeah. I mean, you, you pretty much answered answered it. Yeah.
1: Um, like to read and characteristics. Um, probably being like, like not self-loathing, but like, like always second-guessing yourself and feeling like you're horrible.
0: I feel like so analytical many writers, order.
1: so many writers are like, so,
0: the best ones are like, hmm, suck. You know? <laughs> yeah. Self, self-analysis. Yes, I feel
1: like that's a characteristic of writers
0: in particular. And you know what's interesting about that? I always think of this story is when I went to go see Gone Girl, Uh huh. and I went to this uh, screening of it, and David Fincher gave a talk back. Oh, look right? at you. Yeah, right? So he's, um.
1: I love David Fincher. He's a mentor, too.
0: He is so
1: dope, He's
0: a right? So, Visual style, I want to just copy him all the time. So dope. Yeah, He's so, yeah. But this is what blew me. This is what blew my mind. He was like, yo, uh, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't uh-huh. say yo. But uh, <laughs> he was saying that uh, he was uh, scrolling through the channels uh-huh. and he came across Fight Club. Mm-hmm. And he said he was watching Fight Club and he was like, it would to him. It was like looking at an old picture when he was wearing uh, out, out of outdated clothing.
1: Yeah. And
0: this is Fight Club. This yeah. is like
1: I've heard this. I've heard this. Okay, you heard that it. He feels that way about Fight Club.
0: So I was like, oh my god! Like I watched that movie so many times, and like yeah. when it came out, and I was like so young and, and whatever. And then he said he was watching Gone Girl mm-hmm. at that screening, mm-hmm. and he was like hmm. He was like, did we need to use that shot of him driving up to the garage? Mm-hmm. And he was like, even still, like, after I thought just we all just watched it and was like, yeah. oh, this is incredible. And he was still, like, critiquing his stuff and like, oh, yeah. I was cringing and squirming in my seat. I'm like,
2: yeah,
0: what? Yeah, But maybe that's like a, a characteristic that artists should just have in general, just having that writers or, or directors. I, I heard, or, like, I think it was Steven Spielberg, I could be wrong,
1: that he... He sometimes still throws up like Oh
0: before oh, a before shoot he's
1: about to shoot. Yeah. I'm like, what are you scared of? <laughs> like, yeah, I heard that same like, thing. To that point, you know? Like I get it, you know, you're passionate, so there's always just like trepidation, mm-hmm. right? But to the point where you're like violently ill, like you are Steven Spielberg, it will be okay. Like nothing you do is gonna be horrible.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting because we see Steven Spielberg, but he yeah. looked in the mirror like I'm Steven Spielberg. Yeah, this is who I've been, and yeah. then, you know, like, we looking like no, you're <laughs> Steven Spielberg. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So I, I
1: definitely
0: feel that way. Okay, we're getting to the end of this. I'll have to break this up into two parts.
1: I was just thinking that me and my long uh, VMA story.
0: No, nah, it's all good. Sorry. I'm all good. People will listen. Um totally. Alright, uh do you have a experience that you could share that really helped mold your like motivation to be like a storyteller? Was there like a tipping point of some mm. of some sort? Or was it just like a progressive gradual thing?
1: I don't know if it's like quite what you're looking for, but a definite like Well, thing that happened that made me change, maybe change my mind about certain things. Okay. Um, when I was at USC, like my initial kind of like goal in coming to USC was like, okay, I was trying to get into filmmaking and storytelling, and film school seemed to be one of the best ways that made sense for me because. I knew that there was a lot I didn't know. Even though I kind of sort of worked in production by working in television marketing and event marketing, um, I knew there was like a lot about just like writing and like how real sets work that I just didn't know. So that's why film school was important. Mm-hmm. And as a marketer, I had already been like producing things to a certain extent, right? So I'm like I'm already kind of a producer. So I know that that's something that I want to do because I, from what I understood, producing was like kind of the overall kind of overseeing of a project. And so I'm like, okay, that puts me in a position where I'm like the boss of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I need to do mm-hmm. I'm bossy. And i someone who needs to understand how all aspects of something like it's coming together. So, all right, I'm going to be a producer. And then I knew I always loved writing. So I said, I'm going to write too, I'm going to be a writer-producer. Came to film school, was in that first class, and I'm writing scripts and stuff, and getting better. People are like, you're a really good writer, and I'm like, cool, so I'm going to do this writing thing, and then instantaneously, you know, I'm producing stuff, and everybody's like, "Can tell produce it?" And I'm like, "This is easy. All I'm doing is calling people and emailing stuff and organizing stuff. Like that's what women do. That's why so many <laughs> producers are women. So, and then like
0: when you're in film school, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. We,
1: that's what they told us. And they were like, "Most most producers, most successful producers are women because they know how to organize shit. Yeah. And so in film school, you realize that there's lots of men, and men don't know how to do things. So they're like, "You'll like." make sure that I have a location and like call and find locations for me. And that's like golden sometimes. So like when there were people in classes that are like, I like to produce, then people are like, can you produce this for me? You know, so people are like, yes, Timmy, you're a producer. Produce my shit. I love you. So I'm like, yes, I'm a producer. And so directing was something that I was like, of course I'll direct because I'll just end up doing it. And it wasn't really dawning on me that, like, people come to film school just to direct. Like, like, people even call it, like, oh, what program are you in at USC, the directing program? That's what they call my program. They don't call it the production program. They just call it the program that makes you a director, right? Oh, okay. And then I'm, like, around all these, like, young white guys, and, like, their their heroes are, like, Fincher and, like, and like all the like white male directors right they want to be them in some way shape or form and so they're like zoned in on directing and I was like I'm good like I need to learn all aspects of filmmaking and I will eventually direct and then I remember I wasn't going to direct my project one of my last projects in my first semester my my professor was like the same one who like gave me that compliment, like, hmm, you're a good writer, you need to work on whatever. He was like, You you should direct your project because directing will become increasingly hard to do in this program. The opportunities are gonna get smaller and smaller, and you should direct as much as you possibly can. And so I was like, Okay, okay, I will. And then there was another class I was taking that same semester. It was like directing fundamentals. And you like took scenes from like popular films and you directed them and shot them.
0: Oh, is that the one? Which one? Did I have the No, out? It, was, oh, okay. it was a class like that though. Oh, okay. It was like
1: the intro type. Got it. And I was directing this scene from like uh not Donnie Brasco, but um the other film. I think it was Goodfellas. And so, um, you have to go through, they teach you everything. So they teach you about the casting process and all the audition process and all of that. So I cast the scene and then they're like, and then you have to rehearse with the acting. Take you that. So I'm mm. like, okay, schedule rehearsal with my actors. Had two people in so the scene. So I'm waiting downstairs in the courtyard and the girl arrives first. And we're sitting waiting for the guy to come and just shooting the shit with the girl. And out of nowhere, the girl says, you're a black female director? That is amazing. You are just amazing. And I'm so proud of you. Wow And I was like, why did she say that to me? It was like the weirdest thing ever. And she literally, like, looked at me. We were sitting next to each other. And it was genuine. She was genuinely impressed that, like, even if it was just for a directing fundamentals class that like I was like, I'm like, does she even know that like I have to do this for class? Like I might not even want to do this, but for her in this moment, she felt like I was doing it probably because that was my passion. And she was proud that I was doing it as a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so like, I was like, Oh my God. Like, If white women feel this way, what would black women think if I was a director? Like, she was genuinely proud. Like, she looked at me like I was, like, her child. And we were, like, the same age. But she was just, like, inspired by me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, maybe I really need to pursue directing more and take it, I don't want to say more seriously, but understand how important it is for me to get better at it and like pursue it and not think it'll just come to me because clearly everyone's showing me that directing isn't going to just come to me. It's going to be hard to do, and that's all the more reason why I need to do it. So it made me focus more on directing and getting better at it. And that was good because directing I learned was hard. It's like I thought because I had an acting background that I would just naturally know what actors are like because I am one so I don't know how to direct them and that's true but not really Um, directing is very hard Mm -hmm. it takes so much skill but like life lessons and like understanding and like different approaches for different situations and like it's really hard so you do have to do it a lot to get good at it and I was just like thinking like I'm just gonna be good at it so
0: that was I Okay, that was a really dope uh, story. It's interesting um, to hear that. And then even like you talking about directing, like, cause I felt like I, I came out here and I was, editing pay the, pays the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do very much want to transition to get more into directing and then I did like Try Your Wings mm-hmm. and when I did that I was like I am so rusty Yeah, like, I was like yeah I'm so rusty man so that's one of the other reasons why I was like man I just need to do more short form stuff and I started doing more photography and then mm-hmm. I just started Doing like with crowns of style, like even if you're doing a photo shoot, that's still directing and you still mm-hmm. have to tell someone what to do or the lighting to get that certain look that you see or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Directing is, it's, it's a lot, so it, much. It, it's a lot, man. And the only
1: way you're going to get good is just constantly doing it. But how can you constantly do it? You know, right? To even put it all together to have an opportunity to be on a set and direct takes so much work. Yes. You so like writing you go somewhere sit down and write and constantly get better because you don't need anyone else but yourself but directly you need like shit to come together yeah to a certain extent
0: yeah yeah even with editing like if you want to edit something you could just go you could pull stuff from yeah but directing it's like i need people
1: i need people i need resources yeah i
0: need
1: a lot yeah
0: yeah okay I have a, a segment I'm about to do. Uh-oh. It's called Name That Tune.
1: Uh-oh. <laughs> What's the tune? You ready? Sugar Hill, lines and AZ.
0: OK. There it is. It was just no. AZ, though. Oh,
1: AZ, that's right.
0: It's too easy. It is. That was very easy. Well, Miss Jones,
1: if I want
0: to get real technical. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, ma'am. Okay, okay, okay. What the hell? I was Cuz my favorite songs. is one of is it everyone's favorite song like if you grew up in the 90s like when that came out. No, not cuz that cuz everyone wasn't. No, player. that that was a smash hit, right?
1: I again, I will say yes, but I'm from New York. Yeah. I don't know what was going on in Texas with this song.
0: They was they was rocking it. Oh okay. They was rocking okay. it. But I don't know. So that was very easy. That was it. That was it.
1: Oh my Did god! Would you want another
0: one? That was I good. it was like a bunch of songs. Nah, it was, it was just super one. Easy. It was just one song. That
1: was super easy.
0: Okay. Um. It's okay. All right. Let me play this one. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> I think I actually think you would get it though. <laughs> It definitely sounds familiar right
1: yeah I don't know this one
0: that's calling me bad
1: no that's
0: calling me bad I,
1: that's all for love that,
0: oh. huh? for real no Man, you stumped me, Amiel. Color me bad. Color me bad. That's what I was going to play first. And I was like, nah, this is going to be too hard. That was
1: really hard.
0: I was like, she might get get it. it. That was on their, only their first album, I Want to Sex You Up album. And that was like one of their singles. I don't know that. But you never heard that one ever. Because that was one of their singles.
1: It sounds vaguely. You know what it sounds like a little bit? Hmm. I'm probably totally wrong. Hey, Little Walter by Tony, Tony, Tony. (laughs)
0: Hey. I mean, I feel like they. So
1: I'm, I'm th- yeah. to, something about yeah, it. Yeah, I feel
0: like music in the late 80s, early 90s kind of had that same kind of tone.
1: Yeah.
0: It was all like the same kind of tone. But. Oh, I'm sorry, Emil. Did well, I disappoint you? No, it wasn't disappointing. That's not like a. That's why I was like name that tune. It's like music trivia. It's not
1: that that Az one. I'm like, come on. Hey. I
0: really
1: listen to that song like once every couple of months. For real? Yes. Yeah. And my favorite Az song is Life's a Bitch and Then You Die."
0: Oh, that's why he was like Nas Az. Yeah, Nas like, Az. Yeah, Az is the
1: man.
0: <laughs> what other music are you listening to now?
1: Um, into Anderson Pop a lot.
0: Love Anderson Pop. It is rude. He He's so good. Yeah, that's my
1: song. Uh, that's like, I, I started listening to Venice after I got hooked on Malibu. I went back and listened to Venice.
0: I did the same thing. So,
1: and I like Venice, Venice got some
0: he's dope. Um,
1: Kalani, you know, mm. Kalani is somebody that made me feel old because I'm like, Kalani is out here for the 20 somethings and the teens. You know, because there's mm. such a youthful energy in her music.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and she's so young and like fresh. And then I, I, feel like the old person like liking the young people music a little bit. And um, I like, I like some of Khalid's songs or Khalid's songs. Like his his big hit like Location. Whose album is called American Teen?
0: Khaled. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Your
0: location. Of okay, country. yeah, 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 yeah. He's
1: another one that's like for the teens and the young people, but mm-hmm. I like it a lot. Um, I like some of Dram's music, but he's a little too funny for me.
0: I love Big Baby Dram, man. I, I, I like him. I love his music because I feel like if... I feel like he's what... If, like. If Biz Marquee could really sing.
1: Yeah. That's the
0: type of music that he yeah. would make. If Biz Marquee and ODB together. Mm-hmm. And they, he could really like. Because dry he could sing. He could really sing. I feel like that's what the type of music he would yeah. make. I also He's love. He's too funny for you. He's too funny for me. <laughs> Every time I get into a song, he say
1: something funny. And I'll just be like, you done took me out with this joke, man. man I ain't messing with you. Uh, I also love right now SZA. Oh yeah, uh, her music is uh really, really unique and I love the sound of it. Um, okay, what did you
0: listen to on the way over here? Was it radio or you was talking? Y'all remember? Me
1: I'm looking up right now. My I did listen to something on the way here. My friend sent my friend sent my friend, sent, my friend and, and and I another friend uh YouTube clip of Bill and Cornell West. I guess it was last night.
0: Oh really? Had it, so that's something I was kind of yeah. gonna ask you I later. Talking
1: about Hillary and exhausted. Like, so, so awesome. Yeah, but Cornell is like somebody. It's like I have this relationship with people within the last name West. That's like I love y'all, but y'all like constantly disappoint me. So Kanye and then Cornell.
0: He disappointed yeah. you?
1: Yeah, Cornell disappointed me in his life vicious attacks of like o- Obama
0: oh uh, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah you got this last his last you know um, just basically during his whole presidency and then the Hillary issue like basically the clip I was listening to Bill Moore was saying you, you came on the show and said that like Hillary and Trump were both horrible candidates and I need you to acknowledge the fact that Hillary's light years. Ahead and better than Trump, and so he just kept trying to nail Cornell to the cross with that. And like Cornell was still, like, kind of like dodging and moving around, like, his words.
0: He's just stuff. still trying to justify still trying
1: to justify that, like, yeah. Hillary is a bad person and like would have been a bad leader. And they're like, you can feel that way, but just still say she would have been better than Trump, and yeah. like he wasn't admitting that, so that was frustrating. But the, oh, I was into like an old song, i kind of embarrassed. It was, it, was hot, it was
0: hot. It hot, tidy, but I shouldn't Oh, but well that song, that go hard, though.
1: I do love that song. That's too. a dope song.
0: Yeah, I have an interesting. I, just in general, I feel like it's kind of, mm, kind of complicated when I think of intellectuals mm-hmm. or black intellectuals in, in particular, because or just when I read anything mm-hmm. or hear anyone speak, like I feel like I don't, I shouldn't. Always agree with you. Like I don't oh, think that I should, agree, but I still want to be able to uh, understand your perspective in in a, in a consistent manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, is that making sense? I'm trying to. Yeah. I think that
1: no, because I, I mean, I think that's the goal to understand where people come from, but not necessarily always agree with their perspective. Right. Like, universal human goal.
0: Yeah, it's like I'm going
1: to agree with
0: yeah. everyone. Yeah, because it's like if I was like, you know what I'm saying? I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to stop editing, mm-hmm. and I'm going to become a hula hoop champion.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: feel like that's what? No, it's it's like, hold up, that's inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So I feel like sometimes it's like, and then sometimes with the intellectuals, I feel like they they know so many words and they speak so flowery and grandiose,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's like. You, you could hide stuff yeah. in that. Yeah. You could hide a lot. Even with Michael Eric Dyson, I feel like. Oh yeah. Does it too? Like he yeah. just gets to talk and then he end up quoting Biggie. Yeah. Out of the blue and then uh-huh. he come back. just like like you know like Tupac said. He said he keep your head up and. I always this. had a problem
1: with Michael Eric Dyson. Yeah, man. Well.
0: Oh, he means well.
1: Yeah, I mean I. I don't I think
0: read that it. means anything though. Yeah, but to hell was paying
1: good
0: attention. Say, oh, you're right. You're right.
1: You know, so I never, I never just think just because somebody be you well, that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see what he's trying to do. He's trying to bridge the gap. But, you know, it can be annoying sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But I like my character. But I was reading an article the other day and I felt like that's what they were doing. There was, the article was like intellectualizing a point, which to me, when you whittle it down, it was a very simple point that. Probably, if you just said it plainly, would would come across to people as ignorant or hater like, or just like too simple
0: to to mm-hmm.
1: use to describe something. I feel like Ooh. it might have been like
0: said to make it white plain. people. Oh, okay, when you yeah. said make it plain, maybe that's what they always say to Malcolm.
1: Yeah, because Malcolm
0: was Malcolm was up there. Dropping the knowledge in the big words, They was like, make it plain. Uh Uh-huh. Make it plain. And that's what he was able to do. Yeah. So maybe that's what they need. They just need people to tell them to make it plain when they get it all. Yeah. 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 That's what I think Get Out did. Get Out made
1: it plain.
0: Oh, man. So good. Yeah. So what's the last movie you saw in the theater? Speaking of Get Out. Um...
1: I just went last week to see a special advance screening of Everything, Everything.
0: Oh, the... So oh. that's
1: technically the last one I saw in the theater.
0: Okay, that's yeah. the that's what Ashley wanted to saw see today. At,
1: yeah, so at the theater at CAA, so it's technically I saw it at the theater.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Um, what's a little known fact about you that people would be surprised to know? Mm, I don't
1: know. I'm pretty much all... Along.
0: See <laughs> well, you you know what I want to say. What the dating show? Oh my
1: uh, gosh, I was on that dating show. <laughs> so embarrassing! I
0: never want anyone to watch that thing ever. <laughs> so I'm not gonna say the title of the show, but I'm it was. Gonna say the title. I'm not gonna say the title. Such an embarrassment. But um it wasn't that bad but I remember like I was actually I
1: Still, myself on it though <laughs> you were I feel like if they saw it they would be like that's
0: Timby yeah cause it was even funny Is like I saw like I worked on that show
1: yeah
0: and I saw your casting reel and then like working with the footage and like I saw what happened but um I think that's that's a little known fact is yeah. that you was on this this dating show no whatever no whatever would would ever would think, think that, that. Uh, not yeah.
1: Timby not Timby
0: um, I got two more questions. Okay. What advice would you give to others or advice that you wish you were given before you started down your career path?
1: Probably, like, since a, like, child, I probably put these really harsh time limits on when I needed to accomplish certain things. Mm. And so then when those time limits in, you know, past or whatever, then it's just like this overwhelming feeling of like failure or um just it's just like always booming over you that like now I'm not that age anymore and now that that moment, that year has come and gone and it hasn't happened or so that means I'm like a bad person you know mm-hmm. like so
0: where does that come from because i had the a similar well i had the same thing because i don't know i guess is it because of our parents or something because i feel like
1: yeah i think that has to do
0: with it's me. like what was ingrained in a lot of people it's like you go to school you uh-huh. get good grades you go to college uh-huh. you get a job or you leave high school get a job yeah you meet a woman Start a family, yeah. buy a house, work, retire, uh-huh. have grandkids. It's like very linear way of thinking. And I remember thinking when I was in high school, like, oh, I'm going to be married at 25 and have uh-huh. two kids by, you know, a kid on the way. Yeah. I was, you know what I'm saying? So I was, had that. Then 25 came and went. And I was yeah. like, whoa. Oh, that
1: happened. Pretty bad?
0: Yeah, so...
1: Yeah, for me, it was less, like, personal
0: things
1: and more, like, career career things. So, like, at, like, a very early age, like, artistic kind of, like, endeavors were always, like, kind of around me. Like, I could sing, I could dance, I could act. I did all those things as a child. Mm. And so then people... Start telling you like you need to. You need to have a recording contract when you're 15. You need to uh, mm-hmm. uh, get into a show and become famous when you're 20. You know, and so as a child, a lot of that is not up to you because you need your parents. You need certain things to like be around you. Right. So then, as a child, when like things didn't happen in that sense, then it was like, I'm horrible. Oh my
0: god It's out Oh damn Yeah. What up man yes, Yeah what's up Hey can you let uh She's
2: probably about to be here in a minute um, She don't get me there I'm on my way there But she's probably She don't get
0: me there Okay Well Alright cool t- Tell her to text you Tell her To text you when she get here I'm over here doing this podcast With Timmy We almost done though Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right,
1: cool. My bad. Um. Yeah. So then, like, I'm already as like a young, very young person, feeling like a failure, you know, because like I had these like huge expectations, you know, when they don't happen, and you're just like, oh man, it's never gonna, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's just like a lot of pressure. So I think. And then, like, to a certain extent, I still carry that with myself, you
0: know? And I think it's interesting, too, because I feel like it kind of gives us a kind of an unrealistic gauge. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I love reading those little things that you see on social media when they, like, kind of outline when really important figures in history first got their, hit their stride. Yeah. And you find out that, like... You know, Oprah didn't really start popping until she was like at least 30, you know, which for many people is old, you know, right. um, and all these other people were like some of the, some of the greatest actors of our time. Their first big role or only role that they ever had up until a certain extent was like 40 years old, 44 years old. Yeah. And you're like, but they got started that late. And they've been in a hundred movies and they've gotten five Oscar nominations. Yeah. And yeah, they started when they were 40. They had 10 careers before this one. Yeah. And so I'm always a little envious of like young people. When I see young people getting started out like 16 years old and 20 years old, but the older I get, the more I become just appreciative or I try to be appreciative of the journey and say, However old I am, um, everything happens for a reason. There's a reason why, when I was like twelve, you know, like something didn't happen for me. There's a reason why, like, I went to college instead of coming to LA to pursue acting. Like all those things, I like think about. man. I would've came straight from from high school.
2: Yeah. I would've
1: been out here and I would've been Viola Davis, by, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not. Right. Because Viola Davis overcame Viola Davis like 10 years ago, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And then some
1: people say, if I would've gotten, you know, you hear people say, if I would've gotten rich and famous as a young person, I would've been dead. I probably would've been out here acting crazy spending up all my money doing all the drugs because I would have been young and stupid so God it was a reason God said you know I'm not giving you this until you're ready to handle it so you know
0: yeah it's definitely true. because I definitely think about it too I'm like dang what if I did go to film school and I'm like what if I uh, mm-hmm. um with uh you I know mean, I taught full time for four years
1: yeah so you're like what, what was I doing in the four years <laughs>
0: I thought he let you in like
2: downstairs. You. Hi! Hi! Oh, you look so cute. I love what your outfit. I'll take you. Po- oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, are you in the
0: pocket? Yeah, you want it now?
2: I uh, know. <laughs> oh no!
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. As long as you're talking, you're on it. <laughs> All right. So the last question before. Mm-hmm. The wrap up it is what societal norm do you think is stupid or weird and which wasn't the norm
1: I mean I guess one American societal norm that probably is the most current one is all in the same area of like societal norms that I think are problematic and it has to do with like American like the, the the American way of like expressing yourself whether it's like beauty wise or like appearance wise or something like that. And so I guess uh the evolution of like what is beautiful that has become a societal norm. And part of that is like Eurocentric way like ideals of beauty. Um so I wish that wasn't the norm because um On one hand, it's like this historic norm of like the more white you look, then the more beautiful you are. But now it's also evolved into the more perfect you look, the more beautiful you are. Mm -hmm. So those two things are um, representative of a larger issue of like American beauty standards, which I think have always probably been a little... Problematic.
0: Yes, right? they have, yeah. From
1: corset wearing, you know, it's like, um, that's unhealthy, like,
0: right? <laughs> and that's
1: a long time ago y'all were doing that to women. Mm-hmm. So I think every step of the way, women in particular have had these, like, really harsh standards and expectations appearance-wise, and some of it I love. Like, I love how I was raised, um in a, amongst black women who were like how you look is important right i think that's important so i, I love looking nice i love dressing up i love doing my hair my makeup and wearing nice clothes um and i think it's important to instill that into your kids especially like black folks black folks love looking nice they mm-hmm. love looking sunday sharp they love adorning themselves with colors
0: yo i was literally having this conversation because i'm doing research for this show in Africa, yeah, and if,
1: if you look in Africa.
0: If right you here. if you look at even like old like hundreds of years ago, yeah. th- how elaborate and loud the colors are, and then yeah. we look at people crazy when they walk down Crenshaw and have yeah. a red have red hair or pink hair. I was like, yo, that is actually African. Tradition, like yeah. even the um the jewelry and the piercings and and the hair and the elaborate braids and the yeah. hairstyles like that, it goes like literally centuries back. Like yeah. that's what we want. Were, we're on yeah, and um so all it is now you put us in the different countries, speak a different language, but we still got that mm-hmm. that rhythm in our roots.
1: That. You know, it's yeah. still
0: there, and then so it's like it is of African. The scent that we are flashy and elaborate and loud. Yeah. yeah. I
1: love that. have no problem with that.
0: Yeah. Showing
1: out, I think that you should. I think you should. When you walk outside and people look at you, that's a good thing.
0: What CeeLo say? He said, uh, I'm on stage every time I walk out the house, exactly. so I might as well get them to something to talk about.
1: Exactly. So I'm I'm here for that. Yeah. But what I'm not here for is people thinking that you know you have to have lighter skin or wavy hair or lighter eyes or whatever Eurocentric kind of like attributes to be beautiful. And I'm not here for now. With we're in the what would I call it? We're in the phase of filtering. Right, we're like looking close to your natural state is thought of as like unattractive, mm-hmm.
2: and so
1: I hate that because I do love like I have a love hate relationship with beauty because I do love like how people are able to, like, enhance certain aspects of themselves. And I'm all for it. Like, if somebody wants to fix something on themselves that's always bothered, you've had small breasts and you want to get breast implants, why not? Or whatever the issue is. But I just think that, like, um, you have to be honest with yourself and with others about, like, how far you want to go to, like, and why you're doing certain things. Because then everyone, younger people look, and then they feel like, you know, they're not as, good-looking or they need to change certain things about themselves and i think that's a slippery slope you get to a very dangerous point
0: it is especially considering that what you brought up was an excellent point i feel like i'm just piggybacking on all your points <laughs> that's fine. but it's like i feel that the mo- motive motivation to do something is the most important part mm-hmm. Uh, one thing as a as a teacher is i learned i i became so much more patient mm-hmm. and understanding because when you're dealing with students you're not dealing with expendable commodities if they're acting a certain way or being a certain way you have to figure out a way to still reach them and teach them or whatever you can't just be like oh this kid reading on the third grade reading level and, and they're in 12th grade throw them in the trash yeah. you can't do that you have to figure out okay yeah. what is their motivation behind wanting to doing that okay why do you want to sell drugs why do you want yeah. to uh be a doctor or whatever it is it's like what is the motivation it's like okay you only get something fixed on your body okay mm-hmm. but, but why yeah you know what i'm saying but you have to be truthful and honest about the motivation why. of why,
1: yeah,
0: you know what I'm saying. And
1: sometimes you don't reach that point until you're well into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Like people always say, like my friends and I, my girlfriends and I, we always ask ourselves. So if you have a daughter and she wants to get a nose job, what? Or she wants to get breast implants, what would you say? And we all sit around and think about it.
0: That's like, y'all talk about that. Yeah. That's that's really I mean, dope. How
1: we not? Yeah,
0: that's really dope. How do
1: we not? Because we more than likely it will come up, yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, like you just never know. And so, uh, I think the consensus with me and my friends are most people say they want to change something. I would say, like, they come to me and they're 16. Or they're 18 say oh my 18th birthday or for graduation can I get a nose job or something right mm-hmm. think most of us will say think about it more and when you when you get grown or like 21 or whatever if you still want to do it then you do it yourself but I don't want to do pay to do it or I don't want to be a part of doing it but when you become an adult and you're at a place where you can like really kind of make that decision yourself
0: you're more mature you went through
1: some stuff you went through some things and if it still is important to you then maybe I'll help you do it or you can do it or I'll give my blessing to do it but it may not still be important to you once you get older
0: have you seen Passing Strange? yes you just made me think of that just in as far as like the decision making process. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I, I saw it, and then it's that part, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. and every and it became like he went to, uh, where was I he don't living? I remember it. He, yeah. But he was like living in Amsterdam or something yeah. like that, and he had left home. Mm-hmm. And then his family's like, yo, what's good? When what, you coming back home? And he's like, I'm going on, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. So. Then he's like with all these like in the, in the independent progressive minds thinking they're rocking out and making all this music and stuff and then the holidays come around and he's like, Yeah man, we're not gonna celebrate yeah. the holidays and da 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 like, oh I'm I'm going back yeah. doing my fam and doing this and that and the third. He's like, No, really? You're gonna and then then he uh was like talking to them about like really stuff uh, serious and then all the stuff that he rebelled against and he came to this realization that all the decisions he made mm-hmm. I mean it was off of a decision I mean all of the experiences that came were all of a over a decision that he made when he was a teenager, yeah, and then now he was still in this rebellious like an extended rebellious. Yeah. State.
1: Yeah. Just so because.
0: just because and he's like, oh well, what? Who am I? What am I doing here? Who am I really? And in, in this at the third. So yeah. So, so some of the six. Well, a sixteen-year-old like, yo, really think about this, and yeah. then probably they won't do it, or they'll be more informed yes. about themselves, exactly, and about all that. Because exactly. that's really because I feel like you're. I'm not the most biologically savvy person mm-hmm. or knowledge, but. Your body is still, still changing, changing and growing, like yeah. you know. So it's like you could change your note and it may end ended up how you wanted to be. Exactly, it may <laughs> change. You know,
1: like your body may change in a way where you didn't have to pay for. Yeah, you're still growing.
0: Yeah, you your know? metabolism may have yeah or slow down or whatever. Your mind will yeah. change in a way where you look at your nose or you look
1: at your face or you look at your body and you say, eh, well, "That's fine now. It's mm-hmm. not that big a deal now." you know, so um, yeah, it's so weird you have to ask yourself these questions they're like, what am I gonna do if my kids don't like
0: the way they look yeah, I mean, but that's real and that's dope that y'all are talking about it before y'all even, you know, gotta be prepared so if it does happen, you're like I talked about this back in 2017
1: okay, before
0: this I I was prepared, preparation never prepared proper preparation prevents poor performance yeah All right, so any future announcements? What should we be looking forward to? Um, Keeping our ears to the street about what you're working on?
1: Well, first of all, in the future, I, I would love to listen to this 10 years from now. We should make a date to listen to this 10 years from now. Dang,
0: 2027.
1: It'd be interesting to see how we feel about everything we both said at this point in life. Is how different we are, or the same we are. Yeah. I am excited about my film. Okay. Excited about my project involved film, suitable that will be premiering at the LA Film Festival, and then hopefully we'll have a nice festival run.
2: Yeah.
1: That's a that's a big one. Um, Have a couple of like script projects that are in various stages that something could happen. That's pretty big. Pitching a script to TNT this week. We already pitched like some other people mm-hmm. and they politely passed. It okay. was a good it was a good experience. Um, pitching them and then we're still pitching it. Um have a film that hopefully I'll be able to announce in a couple of weeks that I'll be writing with uh Roche. So that's a big deal. Um, Just continuing to
0: work. Okay, you got a lot of pot bubbling. I see. I see. Hopefully,
1: they taste
0: good. That was that was good. All right. So the last thing I do is I ask the uh, inside the active studio questions.
1: Omg, let's hear it. So you ready? Yes.
0: What's your favorite word?
1: Dichotomous.
0: What's your least favorite word?
1: Forlorn, I hate that word That is the fucking word I hate.
0: What turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally?
1: A very avant-garde um, expression of like sex or sexuality like a photograph or a scene, a passage that's written that's about like passion and sexuality that's in a way it's, like uninhibited.
0: That's why you're so good at it, right? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Okay. No, Don No Nah, man. That's all. That, how can I do it? <laughs> you the shade queen. <laughs> what turns you off?
1: People that are bad at their jobs.
0: What is your favorite curse word? Fuck,
1: probably.
0: What sound or noise do you love? Um, like babies laughing okay what sound or noise do you hate
1: babies crying
0: alright then babies what profession other than your own would you like to attempt
1: I always wanted to be a waitress really yeah
0: I never was a waitress people are waitresses who want to be writers (laughs) right now (laughs) that is funny I know uh, what profession would you definitely not like to do a police officer okay and the last question Mm
1: -hmm.
0: if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates
1: thank you for your help
0: all right that's it thank you for this extended marathon session of Super califragilistic dope shit. I will
1: t- never try to say that.
0: Okay, you should. It's fun.
1: When people ask me what podcast <laughs> I did, I'll say meal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, y'all, y'all can uh, subscribe on iTunes. Also on SoundCloud, you can go to superdopeshit.com. dot com to see older episodes and this episode. I don't know how you're going to be listening to this one and what mode. But I got in all of the podcasts with this quote. Only put off until tomorrow what you're willing to die having left undone. That's from Pablo Picasso. Yes. And we in here and we out here.